0: Welcome to a new episode of Ready to Launch, a special series on entrepreneurship on the MENA region, on Riada, the Wilson Center podcast, and the Straight Up Startup in Amman, Jordan. I'm Marissa Khurma, Director of the Middle East Program at the Wilson Center. Your co-host, Raja Sahuri is my co-host today. We're taking a tour of the MENA region this month to focus on women entrepreneurship. We went from Jordan to the UAE, and today we zoom into the budding ecosystem in Iraq with the two co-founders of 5.1 Labs, Patricia Latayev and Alice Bosley. 5.1 Labs is an international incubator that works to help entrepreneurs in conflict-affected areas launch their businesses. Patricia, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: So, uh, we're just going to start with um, the very uh, simple question of What is the story of 51 Labs? And how did you get to start in Iraq specifically?
2: Yeah, I am happy to answer that. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having us here today. We're really excited to be part of this podcast and to talk with you a bit about 51 Labs. So, we launched five One Labs in 2017, um, so close to five years ago. My background um, was in the humanitarian space. So, I used to work before five One Labs at the UN Refugee Agency in their innovation office, where we were thinking through new ways um, to better serve people who had been displaced by conflict around the world. And one of the things I saw from my work in the humanitarian space is that that sector is great at what we used to call care and maintenance, which is this idea of, you know, we will provide food, we will provide shelter, healthcare, non food items to ensure that people are healthy and um, safe uh, while they are displaced. But often there is a gap when it comes to helping people actually rebuild in their new location. Uh, because the focus is often on, okay, we will keep you alive in short until you can return home. But as you know and as we know, um, you know, conflicts yeah. around the world currently are becoming more protracted. The mm-hmm. average rate of displacement is up to 10 to 15 years, average length of displacement. Um and so that paradigm is is doesn't work anymore. Um, you have these incredible people that have talent and skills and the ability to be a part of the economy and the community, and often they're, they're um, unable to do that. So I ended up deciding to um, leave the United Nations to go to grad school to focus on um, entrepreneurship in conflict-affected areas and conflict-affected communities because I thought there could be something there. And actually, the first day of grad school, I met Patricia. And weirdly enough, Patricia's background was um, was focused on Iraq. She used to work as a political risk analyst, uh, basically consulting with businesses who were operating in Iraq, in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. And, um, you know, Patricia is Lebanese-American. Her family came here during the Lebanese Civil War. And so for her, I think there was also a personal personal connection to the issue. And so she and I started working together. Um, and what we saw was that, you know, people who have been displaced, as I mentioned earlier, often, often do have these, these skills and, uh, and education. But because of maybe lack of um, certifications in their new location. You know, their their degrees or certifications might not be accepted. Um, You know, lack of uh, savings that allows them to kind of take time looking for jobs, lack of local connections. It often means that people are unable to access um, employment at their level in their new location. And entrepreneurship really provides a pathway around those obstacles. So, Um, An example is a Syrian entrepreneur that we worked with in Iraq. He had an architecture degree from the University of Aleppo, and he worked as a graphic designer and architect before he was forced to um, flee to the Kurdistan region of Iraq. When he arrived in Kurdistan, he he came with nothing. Um, And for the first two years while he was there, he he worked as a day laborer. Um, which for him, in some ways, it felt shameful for him that he you know had put in all of this time and had this education and then was was forced to work as a day laborer because he had no access to jobs or or anything. Um, so he joined our program in order to to start a business because he was tech savvy and, and highly skilled. and so uh, we launched Five one Labs because of people like him um, around the world who, Um, are often unable to restart in their new locations. And so um, we started specifically in Iraq because I used to live there. In 2012, I worked at a university in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Patricia, as I mentioned earlier, had this background in Iraq. Um, And the Kurdistan region of Iraq is this amazing and diverse place with, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees that have been pushed across the border But then as well, you have Iraqis who have been internally displaced up into the region. And then, of course, the local Kurdish population, many of whom are returnees um, because they were displaced under Saddam Hussein. So we launched with this idea that, um, you know, diversity breeds innovation. This is this incredibly diverse location with people from um, all over Iraq and Syria. Um, And it has been an amazing ride since then.
0: Thank you um, so much. Uh, This is really inspiring and very timely because we have been talking about shifting mindsets in addressing the challenge of global displacement from purely focused on focusing on the humanitarian or the basic humanitarian needs to basically, as you know, the work that you're doing, uh, giving people tools in order to um survive in order to provide livelihoods for their families. Um, and so this is really, um, inspiring. Um, and you, you referenced that the average time of displacement in a host community, um, is, you know, 10 to 15 years. Uh, I think that the new average is 17 to 20. So the global displacement challenge is becoming, um, more and more difficult. And so, um, uh, we're, Actually, this is a perfect opportunity to say that um, Ambassador Mark Green, who's the president and CEO of the Wilson Center, will be chairing a panel at the Doha Forum um, in, in about 10 days' time on this very topic. So thank you so much, Alice, for sharing this. I want to uh, turn to you, Patricia, to talk a little bit about um, what it was like to sort of go to Iraq and set this up. Um uh, when the uh, ecosystem was still, you know, starting up, um, what challenges did you face? Uh, who were the key stakeholders that uh, you found to be supportive? Uh, was it the government? Were there other Iraqis from the private sector that were helpful?
1: Yep. Happy to answer that. So as you mentioned, we were one of the first movers and then the ecosystem in the Kurdistan region of Iraq was really nascent. So I think that one of the challenges was just establishing ourselves. We saw that there was definitely a need and a gap. You know, given the time that we launched, which was 2016, 2017, uh, the conflict with, with ISIS was still occurring and a lot of young people really were motivated to take their future into their own hands. So they didn't necessarily want to work for the government. There were challenges in doing so. So we really wanted to capitalize on the opportunity. So we were lucky in that we had a lot of key supporters in Iraq. So one of them was definitely local universities. So for us, we we piloted some of our programs and shorter boot camps in local universities because for us, that's where the talent was um, among the student population. We also had support from the US government at the time, you know, we in, in connecting us to various local stakeholders. There was also interest in some of the bilateral and multilateral organizations. So Alice mentioned previously, that there was a lot of this care and maintenance happening. But I think people were starting to realize that there should be more of a development-focused mindset. So I think our solution and what we were providing was something innovative in the Iraqi context. So that made us... An attractive partner to work with at the time. But in terms of your earlier question regarding the challenges, one of the ones that we faced and to some degree we still continue to face also relates to, you know, regulatory and political obstacles and Us as an NGO, we face these, as do the startups that we work with. Doing business is quite challenging um, in Iraq, whether you're an NGO or or a startup. So these are things that are slowly changing over time. But we kind of navigated um, at the beginning through strong partnerships and by having a strong local network and really understanding the environment that we were operating in.
0: Thank you so much, Patricia. Rajai? You had a Fantastic. question about youth
3: yes, absolutely uh, Patricia and Alice, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and we're uh, really happy to have you and so basically uh, like my question is you know you guys came from a from a humanitarian background this um, and you know uh, as you can witness that a lot of crises have hit Iraq and therefore uh, you know uh, you know it caused a brain drain in in uh, their you know, especially families fleeing the country, seeking a better opportunity. Yet, youth today are standing up against this narrative, trying to be, you know, the change agent. And you know, they want to create a better opportunity for themselves and rebuild it. Um, so, can you tell us more about, uh, you know, uh, uh, the drive that the youth have today in Iraq or, like, in, like in the region, also, uh, you know, generally and specifically, women? If you have some stories about women, that would be very interesting to to know about.
2: Yes, of course. I love this question, um, and I think, I think it's so important. Like you said, there is this narrative about Iraq, and I think it's the wrong narrative now because there are so many really impressive young people who are um, so excited about entrepreneurship, about innovation, about kind of changing. Uh, disrupting the economy in many ways. Um, so what we have seen across the board, we actually just this year started running a program in universities because what we realized is more and more young people are seeing launching their own startup as a really viable pathway for their career, something they want to do, you know, about seven, five to seven years ago, I would say that if you asked most young people leaving university what you know what they hoped for for their career, often the answer would be public service, working in the government, um, because that is very stable. Like you mentioned, I think there are lots of ups and downs in Iraq's economy and, and the security situation. And so I think there was this, this um, hope for stability. Um, but recently, I feel like all of Iraq has been kind of swept with this um, really exciting trend of of people being really passionate about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation, Um, whether it's starting your own company or working for a startup or um, doing something innovative within larger companies, uh, which is also happening. So I'll give you a couple of examples because obviously, I think in many ways, the entrepreneurs can speak for themselves. There are a lot of really impressive women entrepreneurs that we work with. Um, We have uh, one woman who comes from the civil engineering space, um, and she saw um, in many instances that kind of the quality of um, construction at kind of all all levels of construction was um, not up to the standards that it should be. And so she decided kind of single-handedly that she wanted to reform this industry. She created an app um, called Bina that connects basically all of the parts of the civil engineering space in order to... um, in order to make it easier to run civil engineering projects and then also provides training and certifications and um, a rating system so that people know kind of who they're getting involved with. So whether it's, um, you know, workers who are working on a construction site, whether it's construction companies, architects, interior designers, everything is all in one place in this one marketplace And she has been extremely successful, has thousands of people using her platform. Uh, And it's been really cool to see kind of how she has taken this industry and said, we can do better um, and using technology, we can, you know, make this a lot, a lot easier. Um, you know, we also, there's an amazing Syrian woman who we work with who was an art professor at a university in Damascus. Um, she came and was living in Erbil and saw that at the time, Erbil had very few um, art art resources. There was not really an art community there. Um, and so she actually... Uh, did a number of things. The first was she kind of opened this gallery where other women could show their art because there were many artists there that were um, kind of being overlooked. She also started hosting art classes um, and runs this successful business called Sev Gallery that also now even sells um, art, uh, like do-at-home packs during COVID so that you can take home these little art packs and do projects on your own. Um, And so it's, it's, it's been amazing to see how um, young people really can pinpoint these these gaps in the market and say, you know, I I can fill these in, in different ways. We have people doing um, restaurant, you know, restaurant rating apps, food delivery apps, um, you know, whatever you can imagine, it's probably being pursued by some amazing young person in some city in Iraq.
0: That's, um, again, truly inspiring. And we would absolutely love to host uh, some of these entrepreneurs, to talk to them and um, hear their story. Uh, Patricia, I want to bring you in because Alice mentioned um, basically the centrality of technology and a lot of these startups. And uh, just earlier this week, um, I spoke with the Iraqi minister of um, technology and or Communications and information technology. So, um, it was an interesting discussion because he talked about how um, uh, Iraq had to really invest in the infrastructure in the last year and a half in order to, uh, you know, build it up at the same level as everybody else in the neighborhood. And he said that the pandemic uh, also saw a boost in e-commerce. I was wondering. To what extent some of the startups that you're seeing have this tech edge to them, um, and whether uh, they work closely with the ministry? <laughs>
1: Yeah, happy to answer that. So in terms of the pandemic, um, I think that definitely pushed tech use more. You know, we've had businesses um, such as one that was delivering groceries and delivering pharmaceutical products that saw a big increase in business during the various lockdowns in Iraq. So from from our perspective, we are trying to work more with tech-enabled and tech startups. So Alice mentioned a few examples, but we've had um, incubators focus solely on tech businesses. So we've had everything from an AI focused like natural language processing business to delivery applications. We also have people developing their own products, for example, natural beauty products or vegan foods and things like that and selling them online. Um, In terms of delivery and e-commerce in general, there's been a massive boom um, in Iraq and you have a lot of firms now that are operating in the space they're raising um, larger and larger seed rounds and we have a few companies that are raising their series a in iraq so it's really growing Um, in terms of the collaborations that they have i think most of the investments are coming from venture firms um, locally in iraq or angel investors Um, so um, yeah that's a little bit
3: about that um, that's yeah, uh, that's an amazing uh story, Patricia and Alice. I I I really like it. Um, um, um Marissa, do you wanna follow up on anything else? Can I go ahead, jump in. Perfect. Okay. So um so I want to ask you a very like, uh, specific question, and you know, I, um, we've seen it all throughout the interviews. Is you know the problem of access to finance. So, um, so I've seen this piece that the Central Bank of Iraq uh, escalated its um, SME fund, fund from fifty million dollars in two thousand nineteen to um, three hundred and three million dollars in two thousand twenty one. That's six times the amount in just two years. Um, so. Uh, do you think guys that um, such an, such an initiative is a beacon of hope towards solving uh, the issue of access to finance and how will that affect um, female entrepreneurs, not just in Iraq, uh, but also in the region? How can, you know, other uh, countries in the region learn from that? Can you tell us more about also your, your, um, your personal story with it?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to, um, to answer based on what I know, um, we probably know a bit less about this because we have been mainly operating in the Kurdistan region. But from what I understand, one challenge with the central bank money is that it's being deployed through banks. You know, So the central bank has this pot of money that can be spent on um, SMEs um, l- lending. the The issue is that I think there is still... There are still a number of obstacles to actually receiving that money from the bank. The first is that in order to receive a bank loan in Iraq, in general, you need a government employee guarantor to sign for you to say um, that you will repay the loan, or you need to put up something like a house um, for collateral. Um, When you're talking about young entrepreneurs, both of those things are are quite challenging. Um, And so... In many cases, at least across the entrepreneurs that we have worked with um, across all of Iraq, I think many of them do not see a loan from a bank as an option for financing at all. Um, another challenge is banks, even if uh, even if this money is available from the central bank, I think banks also still see that there is a lot of risk in, in loaning money to new businesses. And so often... Even if the money's available from the central bank, it's it's actually not being deployed um, through the banks. And so I think a lot more can be done in terms of the way that lending happens across Iraq to ensure that these um, new businesses and businesses created by young people do have better access to financing um, from banks. Um, I think I think what is what is the really exciting story happening right now in Iraq is that there are more and more um, both angel investors and angel investing activity, and actually a number of uh, venture capital firms have recently been created that are focusing on Iraqi startups. And so uh, I think there is a lot more access to finance than there was even just two years ago, um, and a lot of this is coming through. Um, Coming through investors that are operating in the region.
0: So um, I'd like to follow up on that, and uh, feel free, Patricia or, or, or Alice, to jump in. Um, I was wondering if there were if there was any um, sort of capital or finance coming in from the Iraqi diaspora in the United States or in other parts of the region or Europe, um, and whether you worked with some of these. Uh, uh, members of the Iraqi diaspora to, uh, I mean, not just necessarily to finance uh, startups um, and invest in various projects, but also to provide mentorship, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in. So in terms of the mentorship component, since you mentioned that last, I'll start with it. Um, we have mentorship is one of the critical components Um, of our model. And one thing we have done over time is we've built up a strong network of regional mentors. And that also includes a lot of diaspora mentors as well. So maybe there are Iraqis working in Dubai or in London or in Silicon Valley, but also, you know, just um, Arabs in general working in these geographies. So for us, it's important to include them because we want to make sure that there's a strong knowledge of business, but also Um, a strong local dynamic in terms of some of the advice that they're that they're giving. In terms of investment, to date, most of the investments have been made by venture funds, most of which have been launched by Iraqis or Iraqi diaspora. So we have a number of angel investors. There's an angel network in Iraq called the Iraq Angel Network um, operating in Baghdad. And that's largely um, Iraqis either living or operating in Iraq or in the Gulf. So I think there's more and more attention being put. On Iraq, and a lot of that is coming from Iraqis first and foremost, which I think will really trigger more regional attention because when some of these regional VCs see that um, uh, local and prominent businessmen and women are putting their money into these startups, it, it makes the investments more credible.
0: It's really encouraging to, um, to learn that there are uh, members of the diaspora that are pitching in, particularly with mentorship and, um, also some invest in investment. So, um, that's really encouraging. This is one aspect of, uh, strengthening the, the, uh, entrepreneurial or the entrepreneurship ecosystem in the MENA region that, uh, came out as, you know, a, a really important pillar of the ecosystem in our research. And we will also be talking to some diaspora members. So that's really encouraging to hear. Um, so um, I want to sort of uh, wrap up a little bit because we're running out of time. I learned a lot um, from, from both of you. And uh, again, I want to reiterate how um, willing and excited we are to talk to you, but also uh, equally willing to uh, talk to entrepreneurs that have worked with you and benefited from your uh, programming, uh, so we can definitely set that up. Uh, but before we go, um, I'd like to hear from you, uh, from each one of you, actually, if you have any particular advice for um, young entrepreneurs who um, are a little bit hesitant or you know want to take a chance and start their business or. Those who already have a small startup and want to um, need more support to grow, uh, particularly
1: young women. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to jump in with a few pieces of advice. I think at least in Iraq, one thing that we um, advocate for a lot is that Uh, Someone should make sure that they're solving a local problem um, and that there is demand for the solution um, and that you understand who your customers are. Um, And we always. Are here to help. So, if anyone from Iraq is listening, you are welcome to reach out to us. We have a lot of resources available in English, Arabic, and Kurdish on our YouTube page. Um, we're running a lot of programs all the time. Um, so, we're there here to support. And and the same goes for women. We for for Alice and myself and our team. It's really important to support female founders and. We know from working in Iraq the past five or six years that they face a different set of challenges than do male entrepreneurs. And we've devised a number of programs that specifically support them and meet them where they are. So we encourage people to take a look at our website um, and look for those programs.
0: Thank you, Patricia. Alice?
2: Yeah. So in addition to what Patricia mentioned, which is all great, I would... I would just reiterate that you are not alone. Um, I think starting something is so hard no matter where you are. If you're in the Silicon Valley, it's challenging. If you are in Lebanon, it's challenging. If you're in Iraq, it's challenging. And there are other entrepreneurs probably in your very own community that also feel alone. And so one thing that we really encourage is... You know, build up a community of people around you that are going through the same thing. And then you can support each other, share ideas, share advice. I think one really exciting thing about entrepreneurship is it is a very open and inclusive uh, community, I think, no matter where you are. And especially in Iraq, we have seen this, whether you are male or female, no matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, there's always this community that's willing to, to support you and welcome you. And so um, no matter where you live, whether it's in Iraq or elsewhere, I would say search out like-minded people because you will really need that support through the crazy journey of, of starting something.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Alice. Uh, once again, thanks to both of you for uh, joining us, uh, for sharing all the work that you've done. Um, And most of all, uh, thank you for all that you do and congratulations on all your success Um, and uh, hope to connect with you soon, uh, whether here in Washington, D.C. or in the region. Thank you so much for having us. Bye-bye. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of State.